Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BNAC Talks Press. Hello and welcome to this episode of Own the Microphone. I am Bridget McGowan and today I have with me Rhonda Daniels. Rhonda, how are you? I am wonderful, Bridget. How are you today? I am doing fantastically well. Everybody always thinks that someone who is a professional speaker must be this person that just radiates confidence. I mean, the confidence is just oozing out of their ears and this person is an extrovert and this person has the gift of gab. I mean, pick any one of those. You know what I'm talking about. They always think that you must have been born with confidence. Rhonda, were you always a confident speaker? Bridget, I have to tell you, I was not always a confident speaker. And in fact, my journey to public speaking started in high school. And because I was so terrified of public speaking, my mother suggested that I take our speech class. It was my senior year. I thought she had lost her mind and was being unnecessarily cruel to me. But I signed up. And I can tell you without question, it is one of the best decisions that I ever made or was sort of voluntold to make. That class was the foundation for me learning how to be a confident speaker, how to stand in front of an audience and not come to tears, how to learn to do impromptu speaking. That was really the crux of what the class was about, was learning how to be on your feet, how to think, how to formulate an idea, and how to deliver it. And interestingly enough, that teacher, hands down, is one of the most memorable teachers that I've had throughout my entire academic career in part because she was such an excellent speaker, but she taught us things that you may take for granted. Something as simple as articulating the word our versus O-U-R versus R-A-R-E, where most people do not make that distinction. And so it's something that plays in my mind as I'm talking, especially if I'm talking to an audience, to be sure to make that distinction. And I think back to, my, to that class. So that was how I got my start. And I think that I fell in love with speaking after that class. So that's the, that's the beginning of the journey for me. Wow, that is awesome. That's awesome because oftentimes people do not have a great experience with speech classes, especially if they have this fear of them. And I love, love, love that strategy with that just articulating that one particular word, but articulation overall. But I love that example because it reminds me of something I try to be cognizant of when I'm speaking or when I'm giving a presentation and that is to avoid contractions Mm, because I know I've been listening to people and I'm thinking, did she say can't or can, because that T it just seems to just kind of fizzle out a little bit. So that's one tip for listeners. Try to avoid using contractions when you're giving a presentation because 
some of them you can just drop off the end of the word and people are not sure if this was a positive or negative cannot or can't so or can or can't rather right cannot and can't are synonymous get it together Bridget (laughs) (laughs) Rhonda what are the topics on which you speak I have three topics that I typically love to speak on. One is mindset and how we set the proper mindset. The second one is, this might be my favorite, is determining your why. And the third one is resilience. And I think in the times we're living in now, resilience, we are all being challenged to be even more resilient. But generally speaking, those are the three topics that I speak on that I I love to talk about that I could get up in front of an audience and speak off the top of my head about. So I stick to the things that really resonate with me. What's the number one question that you're called upon to answer in your presentations? When people reach out to you and they say, we want Rhonda Daniels, we've got to have her on the stage. What is the main challenge they want you to address in your presentations most of the time? Top of the list. For the topic on why or determining your why, it is how do we help people figure out what the why is, first of all. And then once they know what it is, how do we help them figure out the steps to live in that purpose or live chasing that why? That's a big one. The second one, I think with, as it relates to mindset, is how do we craft our thoughts so that we are able then to craft our life? And how do we teach people or give them some one, two, threes for how to do that? Mm, I love one, two, threes. I love the power of three. Five gets a little too much, but five is good. But I love how you have the power of threes. Even with me asking you, what are your topics on which you speak? You gave me three. Everybody, when you're trying to figure out out how much information is too much information and how much is just right. Three is always a good number. First off, I know you're thinking, but Bridget, I know 20 things about this topic on which I'm going to speak. I want to give the audience all that I know. You are not there to make experts out of them. And if you go in there with one hour or two with that intent, oh, you are going to crash and burn. They're not going to like it. It's just not going to be a good look. It's akin to just taking a bunch of stuff and throwing it against the wall to see what sticks as opposed to taking three sticky balls, throwing them against the wall and knowing that it sticks. So if you're ever trying to figure out how much is just the right amount of content, three is good, five is pushing it. You really want to make sure you're just scratching the surface if you do five and think about your time. And then when you're trying to figure out, well, which three, Bridget, the three where you say to yourself, if they know nothing else there is to know about this topic, these three will be able to carry them across the bridge. These three are the ones where if 
they hear about them from me, they will be able to have an intelligent conversation with someone about the content. You want them leaning out of there built up and pumped up, not with their heads spinning. I attended a presentation recently and the gentleman ended his presentation with, and I even jotted it down, I know your head is spinning. And I thought, that's not a cool look, man. That's, that, that ain't cool, dude. And I've been meaning to blog about it and I just haven't had time to do but I'm digressing. So if you're trying to figure out how much is just right, remember the power of three. Mm-hmm. I am so, uh, so excited to have you on today, Rhonda. And I want to tell the audience a little bit more about you. Rhonda Daniels is a Chicago native. She earned a bachelor's degree in business from Florida A&M University and an MBA from Pennsylvania State University. After five years in corporate America, Rhonda found herself unfulfilled, taking a huge leap of faith, huge as Oprah would say it. Rhonda spent eight years with a home-based company, earning the company's highest title, national vice president, and generating annual revenues of over $3 million. Next, Rhonda spent years with some of the top names in the skincare space in sales, sales training, and most recently, vice president of sales. Now, as CEO of Natural Radiant Life, Rhonda gets to live out her dream and work with two good friends, In her downtime, Rhonda loves her Peloton. She loves reading, traveling, yoga, trying new restaurants, and a great Cabernet. You're living the life, if you ask me. (laughs) You are living the life. You are crushing it. So when you think about the fact that you weren't always a confident speaker, what would you say are some of the things that you do now that just make you your absolute best or what are some of the what are some of the practices that the absolute best speakers have I'll talk first about some things that I do and this is going back to when we were actually in person having in-person speaking events when I still get nervous even though I've done this a hundred or more times, there's still those little butterflies. And I think if they weren't there, then I would probably be overcompensating. And so that is reassuring to me that I still feel like I have to go out there and I have to give my best. And I'm always questioning and just double checking. Am I, am I ready to give my best? So the first thing is just to breathe breathe through that feeling, those butterflies, that little nervousness that happens, breathe through that. And then the next thing for me is focusing on the outcome that I want. Whatever the topic is, is the, if the topic is determining your why, I'm focused on the outcome that every person who walks out of there today has those three nuggets. Now, whether they act on them or not, I can't control that, but they can walk away with a list of here are three things that you can do as you begin this process of determining your why, or you begin this process of having a shift in your mindset. Focusing on that outcome gives me that boost of confidence before I go out because I know that I've prepared in order to deliver the message. And then lastly is when I'm on the stage, I look around the audience 
left, center, and right, and I find a friendly face. And I smile because what I know is when you smile at people, generally speaking, they smile back at you. And so if I have a flub or maybe I forgot a thought and that little uh uh-oh comes up, I focus on the friendly face and I smile, I pause, I give that person time to smile back. And while I'm having that pause, the thought has come back because maybe I forgot a word or I was going in a list order and I forgot something that's on the list. So instead of panicking, take the pause, look at the friendly face, smile, and then pick up where I may have missed the step or forgotten a word or what have you. And the thing to remember is when you're in that situation, it may feel like five minutes, the pause, it literally is a a second or two. It is almost imperceptible to the audience, but in our mind, we're like, oh my God, this is so long. It's not. And once you recognize that, then you can take that pause and reestablish your place, especially if you're using, uh, um, what do you call those things? The, where they have the big boards, where they have your words on them. I can't think of the word right now. Projection Uh, screen. Yeah, like we used to have the screens facing us that may have our slides or your notes on them. Sure. And I will say this just as a note, if you use those, (laughs) this is my, my advice. Do not write it word for word. Please Uh do not write it word for word. Put the big ideas, rehearse the big ideas, know what you're talking about for the big ideas. But if you put it verbatim and you can't read that or you miss a word, it will trip you up. I have learned the hard way. (laughs) So that's my little, that's my little tidbit. But those, those are my things. Breathe, focus on the outcome, find a friendly face in the audience to smile and connect with. And that energy, you'll feel that. And that to me helps bring those nerves down and just reassure me uh, in terms of going through the presentation. And everybody, did you catch that? It was another power of three, just in in case you weren't paying attention. She gave you three of the best things or three of the most powerful things that the best speakers do. I want to talk a little bit more about the slide design piece and I want to talk about smiling. And then I want you to get ready and ask me a question. Get ready to ask me a question, Rhonda, while I go through this. So let me back up and talk about slide design. That is one of my hugest pet peeves is they slide with all of these words on it. So first off, for your sake, if you do have one of those monitors and you're able to see your notes, I with Rhonda, you need to be able to see your notes. So you don't want that information in teeny tiny print, especially if you're able to see where you have that presenter view. And so you're able to see just your notes, but the audience is seeing uh, a different view, mm-hmm. but you don't want that too, too small. So you're not able to see it. And then when it comes to your slide design, you want to keep your number of bullets on a slide at no more than about five, seven bullets, five to seven bullets, about three to five words per bullet, roughly speaking. And you want to make sure your font is at least 28 point. And then the title on your slide needs to be at least about 40 point in size. So remember those numbers, five to seven bullets, three to five words, seven words is pushing it. Seven words might be okay, 
per bullet, at least 28 point size font for the body of your slides, and then at least 40 point size font for the title. But I'm going to tell you what my preference is. It's none of that or very little of that. I like having a high power, high energy, catch your attention graphic that takes up the entire slide and then maybe just a few words in the center. And then I've got, of course, make sure that I have designed it properly so you're able to see those words over or in front of that graphic. But my style is just having this gorgeous graphic, high quality, high resolution, attention getting graphic, and just a few words, if any, on the slide. So that's my preference. Now I want to talk about that smile. Oh, the power of a smile. Let me tell you, although you are a wreck, you are shaken, you are a hot mess. I'm talking about a hot bowl of mess. Your smile communicates the exact opposite. I'm telling you, I don't care what's happening. I don't care if your shoe broke, if your video doesn't play, if the battery in your clicker went out. It doesn't matter. I want you to smile. And here's why. I'm going to use an acronym from one of my books to explain what SMILE stands for. So this is coming from my book, Show Up and Show Out. SMILE for this reason. SMILE when you talk, when you're on the phone, when you're on a webinar, when you're doing a presentation, if something goes wrong, SMILE. It's contagious for one, like Rhonda pointed out. It's hard to look at another person who's smiling and you don't smile back. And then when you're on the phone, people can hear a smile. You can tell right now that I am smiling at you as you are listening to this podcast. You know I'm smiling. So let's use the word smile as an acronym. People who smile give off a sense of strength and certainty. When you smile, people want to be around you because there's something magical about you. There's something magnetic about you. I A smile is infectious. Like I said, you can not pass a person with your mask off. (laughs) You cannot pass someone or see someone smiling at you and you not smile back. Unless that, you know, unless you're just having a rough day and that happens. But let's hope that's not happening when you're presenting. L, those who smile demonstrate to the world that they are loved. There's a power in knowing that you are loved, knowing that you can go home to family, friends, your circle, and that they're going to lift you up and support you. And when you see somebody with a smile on their face, it's letting you know, you might try to tear me down. You might try to throw tomatoes at me in this presentation. You better not, but you might do that, but that's okay. Because when I'm done, I'm going back to my community, my network, my circle that loves me. Finally, E, Smiles give you a positive energy. You feel empowered and ready to take on anything. So crank up those smiles, work those muscles. And it takes far fewer muscles to smile than it does to frown. And a smile just looks far better than a frown. Yes, it does. (laughs) Rhonda, what's your question for me? This is my question for you. So in talking to you, I discovered that we have something in common. We both attended HBCUs. 
And now there is a huge push with some of the celebrity athletes who are going back to HBCUs to be coaches, which I am so incredibly thrilled by. And I would just like to know, what was your overall experience attending an HBCU and how it may have shaped who you are today? Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. So it was a good experience. I don't think I took full advantage of all of the fun there was to be had at Prairie View A&M University in Prairie View, Texas. That's how we always have to designate our (laughs) alma mater. I don't think I took advantage, full advantage of the extracurricular activities because I was so focused. Rhonda, there was no negotiating. I had to graduate. There was no, oh, just go try it out. Or, oh, you can always come home. or what? And that was in my mind. Parents didn't say, there's no other option. You must graduate. That was self-imposed where I said, you got to do this, girl. So I had a good time, but within reason, as I was sharing with you off camera or off microphone, in addition to taking a full load every semester, I would also work two jobs. I worked in the campus bookstore, and that's how everybody got to know me. But then I was also, surprise, surprise, the student news director at the radio station. So I would do the news, turn off the microphone, and run across campus and go sell somebody a textbook. And I would even have people say, wait a minute, I just heard you on KPVU and you're here. Yes, I'm here. And that'll be $5.12 for your orange juice. (laughs) How it shaped me and what that experience meant for me was it it was important to work hard. Uh, It was important to make sure my voice was heard. I just... uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I was scared as all get out going there because I grew up in a rural town, population 5,019, Livingston, Texas. There were not a lot of Black people in Livingston. So to all of a sudden arrive at Prairie View a where there are thousands of people who look just like me, it was a culture shock. And when I say I was scared, I wasn't scared as in clutch my purse to my side. No, I was scared because I had not been in this environment and it was a university. And I thought these people, all of these people are so much smarter than me. So pretty, so put together because you, you had better, the hair had better be quaffed. The clothes had better be on point. Part of the reason I was working two jobs, okay? Because the scholarships and the grants had taken care of the tuition and room and board, but it didn't take care of the personal effects. So I was scared because everybody just seemed to have their games together and we're at a university. So this means they're super, super smart. So I felt like I had better have my game together and I had better come with the A game. And so that experience pushed me to make sure that I'm always or as much as possible showing up as the absolute best version 
of myself. Wow, you took me down memory lane, Rhonda. You said I could ask anything. So. I did. I did. Did that answer your question? I felt it like did. okay. It I did. felt it like did. I was just sitting here reliving a kappa party in my mind and <laughs> <laughs> and not answering the question. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So yeah, it was, it was an outstanding experience and I get chills every time I think about Pro Review Annium, outstanding school and uh, they're, they're doing some things. Okay. And that's spelled T-H-A-N-G-S. They are doing it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Rhonda, let me pull myself back to (laughs) current time, present day. And if there was one last thing that you would share with listeners about how you get up there and you just take that mic and, and own it like it's nobody's business, what would you tell listeners they need to do? I'm going to go back to the old faithful of the threes. <laughs> and the first thing is, I'm trying to decide which three. Let me, let me, let me think about <laughs> Let me think, because that's like, okay, I have 20. So let me, let me get the three. I took a presentation training and I learned some techniques that I have implemented that work really well for me. And I think that as you're newly speaking, these are things that can work. One is what's called using an anchoring technique, which I'm sure you are very familiar with. But I will just elaborate on uh, anchoring. Anchoring is the process of pointing. So for example, if I'm telling a story and something may be negative, I want to point away from me because I don't want anything associated with me to be negative. If I'm telling a story and there's something positive, I want to point at myself. And so I am creating a visual for my audience of a negative thing being away and a positive thing being associated with me or with them. I may, may point, not point, but move my hand in the direction of my, my audience. The other one is using what's called enrolling questions. Now you may do this and not even know what this is, but an enrolling question would be something like, how many of you attended an HBCU by show of hands? And you literally put your hand up and you wait for the audience to do what you've asked them. Or you may say, raise your hand if you insert question. You also can use enrolling questions if you see people are sort of slipping or maybe the the energy has dwindled a little bit. You know, maybe there was a part of the presentation that wasn't quite as strong as some other pieces. Take that pause, do a re-enrolling question and say, hey, is this making sense? Are we on the same page? Is everybody clear on this topic that I just presented? And give them an opportunity to do a nod. They may say yes, or they may do a negative nod. And if you get the no nod, don't panic. Just say, okay, well, you know what? Let's go back over that last point again. And let me, let me make sure that everybody's clear and repeat it because, you know, people are on their phone, they're doing all kinds of stuff. People, you know, the, our attention span these days is very, very, very minimal. <laughs> well, what I like to tell people is you will never get 100% of the audience's attention 100% of the time. One, you know, you're just not going 
going to get 100%. You're not going to get, you know, 100% participation, 100% engagement. I don't care if you're at 100%. Okay, so anchoring as well as enrolling questions. And what's a third piece you'd give? The third piece that works, again, works for me is using stories. People can relate to stories. So if you're talking about whatever you're talking about, and there is a way to weave in a story, it could be a personal story. It could be someone else's story, but people can relate to stories. Think about books. And when we read novels and we become so engrossed, we can literally envision ourselves standing next to the character in the book watching what's happening that's what happens when you're telling a story you're pulling the audience in to get them to go along this journey with you so I find that that helps as well and a little bit this is a fourth one but a little bit of humor used appropriately not bad jokes but a little bit of humor if you can infuse it and if it can flow also goes a long way too yeah, and if it just makes sense sense for your personality, right? Don't don't put in a joke just because you think that it's a good idea and you're hoping for the audience to laugh. Because let me tell you something. Audiences won't laugh because your joke is funny. They will laugh because they're feeling you. And you get audiences feeling you when you demonstrate that you know your stuff. You demonstrate you know your stuff by making sure you give them something of value. So when you start out in the beginning saying, I'm going to give them something of value. I'm going to give them something with utility. I'm going to give them something that they are going to be happy they spent this time with me to get it. When you do that, then they will laugh at anything you say because they're feeling you, even if it's a lame joke, they'll, they'll <laughs> laugh at it. But don't, don't feel like you have to do that. But humor it definitely can go a long way if it's your thing, if it fits for you, if it works for you. You know, I, I did say that that was the last question, but I do want to ask you one more. Yes. So you speak on mindset, determining your why and resilience, right? And those are topics that a lot of people speak on. What is it that you do, Rhonda, that makes it I think one of the things that I've done effectively is, as we were just talking about, is using stories. And I introduce my personal story, which is unique to me, on how I have had to be resilient. And so in my bio, you read that I had a business for eight years. And what it didn't say is that that business went away, not by my choice. It literally, I woke up one day and got an email and it was gone. And so how then do I, after eight years, pick myself up and start over? And what did that look like? And how many tears and sleepless nights were there and how did I have to find a way to change my mindset not to focus on what had been lost but to focus on the opportunity that was going to be in front of me even if I didn't know what the opportunity was to have faith that the opportunity was there so I think in talking about those things I infuse a lot of my own personal experiences things that I relied on methodologies that I've had to adopt mindfulness has played a huge role in my life and being able to master that or to work to master it, I should say, 
has really helped shape how I deliver a message about resilience or how I deliver a message about mindset. And, and probably, and I'll just throw this in quickly, the message about determining my why. The job that I had as a VP of sales, I thought was my dream job until I was laid off unexpectedly at the beginning of the pandemic. And I found my new business simply by looking for another job and my resume landed on the right desk. And the why is now I get to do something I've wanted to do for years that I didn't even know was waiting for me. And if I had kept crying about the job I lost, <laughs> I wouldn't have found this. So I, I think that the uniqueness of the story and our, all of our stories are so unique. And when you find a way to infuse that with the research and with the, the, the thought patterns or the, pad, the thoughts that have been delivered by some of the best speakers and best trainers in the world, it makes the message unique. I'm not Les Brown. I'm not, I would be a fool to go up and try to present like a Les Brown, but I can take some of the learnings from a Les Brown and I can infuse my story to deliver a new message. Does that answer the question? I hope so. That, that, no, that does answer the question. The infusion of your story along with these topics that have been out in the world forever is what makes it different. And that's what should stop people from having this paralyzation and not wanting to get out there and get on the microphone because they feel like, oh, it's already been said. Oh, somebody's already talking about X, Y, or Z. So there's no point in me stepping up. Yes, there is because it's your story. That's what, it's your story that is what will make it different. What will make it unique? What will make people get on the edges of their seats and say, hmm, I've heard about mindset before from fill in the blank but I've not heard it like this from Rhonda. Rhonda Daniels, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute treat. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Everybody, thank you for listening. I trust you walked away with at least three ideas. You should get more than three from listening to this episode really appreciate you until next time make sure you always own the microphone